52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. In 2020, the CDC issued a Leading Causes of Death report. While the report found that suicide was the 12th leading cause of death overall in the United States, the most shocking statistics in that report were that suicide is the second leading cause of death of those aged 10 to 14 and the third leading cause of death of those aged 15 to 24. In the wake of these tragic losses are parents, siblings, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and friends. What is a family to do in the aftermath of a suicide? How does one live life as a survivor of suicide? Here to share her story about exactly that is Sabina Zunguze. Sabina has held many professional positions over the course of her career, all of which are centered around economic empowerment and professional and leadership development of women in Africa. She accomplishes this through sustainable sourcing of products and ingredients, and by providing managerial support, production assistance, and business training. Sabina is the founder and CEO of A Gift to Africa, LLC, a health and wellness enterprise based in Florida with branches in Zimbabwe, Malawi, and South Africa. She is the vice president of the American Business Women's Association, Emerald Coast Chapter. She has also worked on development projects with the Department of Trade and Industry in South Africa. Sabina is a speaker, consultant, and coach on doing business globally and also cultural considerations on doing business in Africa. After losing her nearly 21-year-old daughter to suicide in 2017, Sabina and her family established the Tatisa Foundation for Suicide Prevention and Social Justice. She sits on the board of this foundation with her children and husband. Sabina also speaks and offers trainings to schools and communities on suicide prevention gatekeeper trainings around the country. She is a Zimbabwean native who has resided in the U.S. for over 30 years. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sabina. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Robin. I'm so glad to be here. So, Sabina, how did you find the strength to move on and get through what happened? And what did you do about it? Can you tell us this story? Yes. I guess people say, you know, you we all grieve in different ways. However you feel comfortable in grieving is what you would do. With our Tatissa, when she passed, uh, she was in school and none of her friends suspected anything. We didn't suspect anything at all. Everything now is in hindsight that we now think, why would she have said this or why would she have done one thing or the other, which we should have known. 
because also as part of my history, I've worked in children's mental health for quite a while. And having been in that industry, you would think you would know, you know, some of those things. Mm. But I did not know at all. So me as a mother, I mean, there is no, there's no telling anyone who's not a mother who's lost a child how that feels. It is hard to find that soft spot where you feel like maybe this is what I have to do because every day is so different. Every day you have guilt, you have shame, you have blame, you have, you cry, you, you know, you, there's no knowing what a day would bring. But I thought to myself after a long while that the only way I can honor my daughter is to do something great that she would have loved. If I can save any child, anybody, to save any mother from the agony that I go through, that would be the best thing that I could do for my daughter. That's how we formed the Tatisa Foundation. So the family, all of us, we just, uh, there was not even any question you know, amongst us, the children, the my other sons and daughter, and my husband, what we should do, because we knew that this was the thing that we need to do. And what does the Tatisa Foundation for Suicide Prevention and Social Justice focus on? How did so, you get that started? And, and what are the programs like? Yes. Yeah, so Tatisa passed in uh, March of 2017. Uh, we formed the foundation later in the year, on 2017 as well, I think around November. And our whole purpose, as I said, was, you know, to try and spread the word just for people to know what are the signs, what, you know, what can you do when you're confronted, what, what should you look for, you know, and our whole purpose was how can we do anything to save any child or teen. Uh, we focus mostly on uh, youth. So what we decided to do was, you know, try and leverage those who are already in the suicide prevention arena because we are all new to it. We didn't know where to start. And we were looking at programs, something that would have an impact on this issue. We are here in the Panhandle. We are around uh, the Destin area. And uh, we found a program that is um, that comes out of Utah, and it's called Hope Squad. They give a peer-to-peer prevention, it's a peer-to-peer prevention program for the schools, where you, we teach the other the, the kids, the other kids, how to recognize the science for prevention, because we know that peers will talk to their peers before they talk to adults, and that is a fact. That is. Um, that has been written in so many journals. It's evidence-based. So uh, what we do now under the foundation is we are uh, sponsoring one of the schools here, the high schools under this program. Uh, it's called Hope Squad. So that's one, one of the things that we do. And then on the social justice, as you know, we also have a social justice piece and we wanted to have social justice in there because Tatisa was very active at the school that she was at on social justice issues. Anything that came up, she was number one. She was there advocating for those who are 
who don't have the means. She would be in the prisons. She would be at the animal shelter. She would be, you know, she did all wow. of those things. So we thought we wanted to um, to include the social justice piece. So what we do under the foundation is that we also sponsor girls uh, in Zimbabwe, where we come from, who at the threat of early marriage, so they will leave school and have to be married. You'd find a girl who's nine years old married to a 72-year-old man because of mostly it's economic issues. So we would put the girls into school so that it's not a burden and it deters the family from having the girl, you know, being married at such an early age. So that's one of the other things. And then we are also getting into scholarships and sponsoring different things here and there. Yeah, so that's what we do. When you and I spoke initially a few weeks back, you had mentioned that in Zimbabwe and perhaps some other areas in Africa that the topic of suicide is still very, very taboo. And I believe you had mentioned that you were trying to make some inroads there to bring this suicide prevention awareness to to those communities in Africa. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you've seen and the challenges you've faced and how you might be overcoming them? Yes. So I don't know about overcoming, but we are trying. Um, Generally in Africa, suicide is not taken uh, very lightly. Most of the time it's tied onto some cultural thing that if there's a suicide in your family, probably the ancestors were not very happy with you. Hmm. So a lot of there's a lot of stigma that you do not get a lot of people who died by suicide. They don't even say that they will say something else because of the shame that comes with it, that maybe the ancestors were angry with you or suicide. You know, those who commit suicide, they're crazy. They're, you know, something is wrong with the family. You know, I mean, every anything negative you can think of comes out of that. So you find that people don't quite talk about suicide at all. So right now it's even worse with the teens having been under lockdown and all the pressures that are coming because of economic issues that they cannot go to school, they cannot finish school. Those who were in college could not finish because there's no money. And then we're finding a lot of suicides coming out of that because of just the frustration. But then imagine, you know, something happens like that and people don't say what that person died of because you, you know, because of the shame that you feel that the Mm -hmm. family would come up up to. So what we are trying to do is again to uh, partner with Hope Squad because now Hope Squad beyond just being in schools where you do a peer-to-peer kind of thing, it has expanded into the military arena, it talks about all these cultural kind of things where the emphasis is on peer-to-peer education because you are likely to talk to your peer and your peer might detract you from, you know, harming yourself before it ever happens. So what we are trying to do is to go into colleges and see whether we can get, you know, those who are open enough to get us in there so we can have a program where the teens or young adults could talk to each other or have someone to talk to because they cannot go to their 
elders to go and talk about this if you're feeling that way because you're damned. I mean, nobody would believe you uh, that, you know, you are really feeling like, you know, I, I need to end my life. Nobody would take you seriously till it's done. And when it's done, nobody wants to admit it. So just the stigma is we, we talk about stigma here in the U.S. being such a, you know, such a taboo here, but it's nowhere near what you would find on the outside. It is, it is just so devastating, even with us as a family, to talk about it. People say, I've had even a relative tell me, why are you going around and saying that? Just You don't have to say that your daughter died of suicide. And it's like, why wouldn't I say that? I want, I want to, to say it so that I can help somebody who is at the verge of doing something to themselves. So that's, that's how I'm so it seems obviously there's there's the the cultural barrier there in in their mindset of their view of of suicide but they're not even thinking about perhaps the the benefit of talking about it so as to save another child or another individual and to save another family grief that that does not even come into play for this culture. Yes. So yeah, there's a lot of work. I mean, you know, this is, you know, generalizing it generally on right. you know on the outside. Right. Yeah, it is it is sad. It is so sad. I mean, even us, as I said, just talking about it, having gone there to say, look, we've got this foundation. This is people will say, oh, that's wonderful. You know, you're doing that. Or some people will come in private and tell us, you know, I had my uncle, you know, I never I've never told anyone. I mean, so many stories. I've never told anyone uh what happened to my uncle or whatever. And I'm so glad you're doing something about it. But they don't want it to be known. They don't want us to even talk about it. It's like you're told in confidence yeah. and that's it. Let it lie under, you know, the sheets. That's a, uh, that is a really big challenge to face. Yes. I'm just amazed that, that you're taking that on and, and clearly very thankful. What has been the response of the work that you're doing more locally in the Destin school system what has the response been from educators or even kids? You know, it is it is amazing because, um, you know, educators, them over and above just being a teacher or an administrator in the school system, you're still a mother, you're still an aunt, you're still in the right. community, and, and mm -hmm. you've had you've had uh, something happen to you in your private life, so it's we go around to schools and talking about it and having, because with the program, we have to have what we call advisors. Those are teachers who would then work with the peers who are in the program. We want them to volunteer to be part of this program. It is, it is just astounding what you would find. You know, I mean, everyone wants to be involved. Everyone wants to do something. Wow. So the response has just been so positive. And as you know, there's been so much being talked about in the news, you know, about suicide. There's been so much being talked about how our economy is is now so turned around, especially for the youth. You talk about the ages 10 to 14 being the second highest, you know, you know, cause of death. And we are finding that just at the age of 10, just that age, it's just incredible. And now it's starting even as early as eight years old, six years old, we're seeing little kids, kindergarten kids, you know, trying to harm themselves. 
So the, we do have an issue. We do. How much do you think social media plays into this rise in, in suicide, especially of the younger kids? Because there's obviously the other very front and center topic of conversation is cyberbullying. And then the in-person bullying that, that results from cyberbullying when the kids are all together. Yes, absolutely. As you know, I mean, social media, you will find those who are up there, they're always talking about the glory that's going on in their in their lives, right? We don't mm. see too much of, right. you know, everything under what's going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So the kids are taking all of that. They're taking that face value and think, what is my life up to and seeing all these wonderful things? And beyond that, there's all this bullying that's going on, as you just mentioned. There's so much bullying going on, whether in person or right cyberbullying. We're talking about imposters on the on online who might intimidate a kid, and we don't know because there's just so much information out there. Mm -hmm. Kids have phones all the time. They're they're getting all this information from all over the place. But the positive side on of all of that, I mean, there are people who are coming up with different apps that you can use as a as a child, you know, to help you cope with however you're feeling personally or inside because some kids don't talk. They don't mm. they don't say you find out what is happening after the fact or or way, you know, late in that situation mm. that now there there people were coming out, even youth who are coming up with different apps that you can Talk to the app yourself and it will send you positive messages. So at least, you know, you're not just feeling low by yourself. And then programs, like I'm saying, the one that uh, we are dealing with, where you have other kids in the school, you know which kid to go and talk to. You have someone you can talk to who doesn't judge you, you know, who might be from another uh, group of kids. We don't, we don't deal with just the popular kids. We deal with all kinds of kids and we want all of them to be accepted by this group of kids now that we train in the schools. So, yeah, I mean, there are positive things, but the negativity that's out there, you know, is just tremendous. I don't know how the kids do it nowadays. We didn't grow up with any of this stuff. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully. I think about that quite frequently. Would you say that you are a stronger person now as a result of this event in your life or or perhaps that maybe you have found new strengths that you didn't think you had? I mean, really what you're doing is unbelievable. Yes. And you have to be a strong person to do the dance with a public school system and and cultures in Africa. And I also talk to community groups. So I do gatekeeper training uh, where I teach people to find, to to know the signs, mm -hmm. what to say and what to do. Then we don't teach them to be counselors or anything. It's mm -hmm. just what is it that you can do to deter someone from harming themselves. Being stronger, I think this has, I mean, this is my way of grieving. It is tough. Every time I do any of this, I mean, there's no, you know, most of the sessions I do, there are always tears. I always have tears. At the end of it, I always hear people who would come after that and just want to hug, hug me, which is great because I need that. You know, I, <laughs> I don't go out there and tell people, oh, well, you know, this is what happened to me. But when I'm talking about that kind of stuff, I hear lots of things. I hear people who, whom I've 
you know, I would also, you know, because of my training in all of this, I would also help them in dealing with whatever is going through with them or what has gone through with them. I mean, because some people have lost people already. So I find the strength in hearing someone saying, you know, thank you. Now I know because at the end of each training, we do give a certificate. We do give um, resources. So depending on where I am, you know, we'll give resources of saying, okay, so if somebody comes to you, these are the signs, what should you say? And then, you know, what do you do and where do you send them and what do you do to send them for help? And then we do have list of, you know, whether it's 911 or 988, which is now the new number for um, mental health crisis or, or local numbers, local police, local emergency, you know, like first responders and all that stuff. Do you feel that in hindsight, when you were receiving the training in order to be able to give the training to other people, was that helpful in your grief process? Yes. Yes. I think one, if there's one thing that I learned is that even though I blame myself for not having listened, I know that there is, I mean, it's, it's not what I did. Unless somebody had come to me and told me what to do, I wouldn't have known what to do. So I should stop blaming myself and look positive, you know. So with all the training that I've gotten, it's not that, you know, it, it encourages me to go on and not just blame myself and, and just throw a blanket over my head and cry. I mean, it's been, it's been good. It's draining, but it's been good. And I would, I would do it over and over again. I would not give up to do that for the kids here locally, for the kids around the world, wherever I'm called, I, I would do it over and over again. And I know that I'm sure my daughter is smiling there and saying, absolutely. You know, Keep, keep going, mom. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I sometimes think there is no person with greater strength on the face of the earth than a mother. <laughs> it, it's so true. It is true. I mean, though we are a family foundation, we are also all grieving differently. My mm -hmm. husband is more into the research part of it. How can we find more research? How do we, mm -hmm. how do we talk about it to people in a, in a setting like, you know, let's go and present at a conference or something under the foundation. Mm -hmm. And the kids also, each one of them has found strength in doing some kind of fundraising because it gives them that purpose of saying our sibling did not go, mm. you know, for nothing. There mm. was some reason that that happened. Well, I do know I did take a look at the, the foundation website and there are some fabulous resources for help and education. So listeners, please take a look at that. That's the Tatisa Foundation for Suicide Prevention and Social Justice. Sabina, I can't thank you enough for joining me today and, and sharing your story and the, the beauty that has come from such a tragic event. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Hopefully, whoever is listening, you know, keep going. We have strength. Find some resources. Help somebody. Yes. Thank you so yes, much. agreed. Mm -hmm. Listeners, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if so, please like us, share us, tell your friends about us. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to the Health Ability Project at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.